everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but Foodie married Beast anyway, and together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on this crisp Sunday morning in D.C. I can't believe it's cold again. Um, it's so nice on it's Friday. Be- it's beautiful. It's just like... Uh, it's not like, nice now. It's like the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to, before we get going, I want to remind everybody that Nikki and I also have a, we have a new show mm-hmm. on full service radio. It's fullserviceradio.org, broadcasting out of the fabulous New Line Hotel in Adams Morgan. Um, we're on Mondays from 5 to 6. Last uh, Monday, we were talking to Brian McNair of Jose Andres World Central Kitchen about all of their activities, particularly what's going on in Puerto Rico. Well, and don't forget, we also had champagne and with Chris We had champagne uh, with Chris Oak. Hauk, yes, Whatever. of uh, Moet, Shando- mm-hmm. uh, Moet Hennessy. Mm-hmm. And tomorrow we got interesting show. We're going to be talking about sexual harassment in the restaurant industry, which is a very topical subject. And, right. Uh, we have Ruth Gresser coming in uh, with Pizzeria Paradiso and all of her her whole little empire. And also um, Catherine Miller is coming in from James, uh, Beer. James Beer Foundation. So, so it's it really going to be a good talk. Pretty interesting. Wait, and we also have the beer person from Paradiso coming in. What's her name? Drew McCormack. So there'll be beer on the show, too. That's good with me. (laughs) Daddy likes that. All right. So we got a lot going on today. Mitch Berliner, who is uh, the entrepreneur's entrepreneur, is in. Mitch is the and his wife, uh, Debbie Moser, are the brains and the energy behind Central Farm Markets and also behind a new business called Meat Crafters. It's not a new business. It's been around for a while. Well, it's relatively new. No, it's I mean, not. New nationally. It's new nationally. New I mean, national, they have, they but it's been it. around locally for a while. Are you going to argue with me? They I were, am. They were, they were incubating it, and now it's national, and there it is. Okay. All right, and uh, Mitch is in. We're going to talk about both. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to say, Mitch is the guy that brought, you brought haagen and Ben & Jerry's to D.C., right? Yes. Uh, back in the early 1970s, we had the first farmer's markets. We had the first gourmet-to-go place. Yeah, don't go on too we long. Went, I got to introduce, introduce He's, got, wait, he's not right. ready to talk yeah, to you yet. Right. Hold on. Just Everybody hold on. knows Mitch, boy. All right, hang on a second, okay. Booby. All right, and also, um, Olivier Kayabe is in from Toki Underground. He brought ramen. He brought ramen, God bless him. Um, uh, Toki is D.C.'s uh, first ramen house. Mm-hmm. Still one of the most popular, and he's in... He's got a great Irish accent, too. This is going to be awesome. He's going to tell us all about <laughs> Just it. Just don't let David speak with an Irish you accent. You wouldn't be from Ireland, you, would please. you, lad? so embarrassing. Okay. Oh, my God. Okay. And um, Honey Grow is taking over the D.C. market. This is a Philly-born fast casual concept. It features, like, really yummy, delicious food that is made to order stir-fry, salads, and the honey bar, which we're going to find out all about. Uh, Chef David Katz just took the train in from Philly. He's going to tell us all about it. He looks really excited about it. Yeah, he looks really excited. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so uh, U Street Service Bar is a fried chicken and artisan cocktail bar. Is is that a good way to describe it, Glendon? It's a fantastic way to describe it. Oh, I'm so fantastic. (laughs) So uh, Glendon Hartley, who's been in many times, a famous mixologist, and his buddy Kevin world Rogers, famous. also yeah. a world famous mixologist, right, Kevin? Just say yes. Yes. I'll okay. Say yes. Fine. I'll, I'll they're in. They're going to talk about. It. We're particularly focusing on brandy and brandy cocktails. <laughs> and why don't we start with you guys? Uh, Absolutely. You want to do a little four one one on service bar? Right. Please. Yes. Uh, so service bar is first and foremost a neighborhood bar. Uh, we just tend to focus on cocktails, uh, which kind of drives the industry uh, towards the bar itself. 
Mm -hmm. Um, But we focus on, you know, great cocktails and having food uh, all night long. So you can come at any time uh, until last call to have food. But is there a specific kind of cocktail? Like, what's your cocktail program like there? Um, I don't know if there's a way to describe the entire cocktail program. Um, we do everything. Uh, right. So it's across the board. Wild and so crazy. Wild and crazy mm-hmm. as we want, um, but still um, very quick and very non-pretentious to anyone that comes in. Quick is important because some of these um, new cocktail places take, it could take like up to 15 minutes. You're not waiting drink. 15 minutes <laughs> for a cocktail. Like uh, we have things that we can get you I in 20 seconds. Wait 15 minutes for a drink. Yeah, you will not <laughs> wait 15 minutes for a drink unless you're waiting for like, 15 drinks. So why incorporate fried chicken specific into a cocktail bar? Mainly fried. There were no real fried chicken places in the area. Well, uh, besides where kinda, you are. You've never uh, heard of Popeyes? Oh, Popeyes, yes. Uh, which I think has one of the most consistent fried chickens on the planet. And anyway, uh, Popeyes on 14th Street. We're on U Street between uh, 9th and 10th. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually a really nice little place. There's Dodge City over there. There's Nellie's. There's uh, Brixton. Uh, but we fit right into that area. We're the only people doing food until last call, um, and we're the only people doing fried chicken, so it made sense. Right. Well, who doesn't want mm. fried chicken with a couple of Something drinks? grease with All your All right. Your, and your what's, your, what's your particular uh, Jones uh, with brandy? Uh, I came across brandy doing my first uh, beverage program uh, mm-hmm. for Black Salt Fish Market a long time ago, uh, and it was actually Calvados that got me into studying brandy. Um, I've always loved apples and apple juice. Um, and cider, so okay. it was the natural progression to have a distilled apple cider, which is a uh, uh, Calvados. So that, after having that, I decided to study other types of brandy from Europe to South America and America, mm-hmm. uh, North America, I should say. Um, and that's kind of how we got there. Kevin uh, kind of has the same interest in the subject that's not really spoken about uh, that often. Well, you're, all right. Okay, uh, go ahead. Quick question: You're you're the vice president of the U.S. Bartenders Guild chapter here in D.C. Um, what is that? Is that a lobbying group, or is it more of an information-sharing group? So, Or do you just sit around and get <laughs> get smashed? I was the vice president. I'm also the former president. I am no longer the on the chair. You've been deposed? One of the chairs. No, I... You know what? That wait, should happen. What do you do? Maybe that can happen to somebody else in Washington. No, that that, nice. not the same. I actually left my post to open Service Bar. Okay. Because uh, I knew I couldn't juggle two things at once. But uh, to answer your question, it is very much an information sharing guild. Uh, and we started the guild to educate the next wave of bartenders coming up in the city. Uh, so we don't have a lack of knowledge. So everything that we learn, we trickle down. Got it. Cool. All, All right. right. Well, what are you making first? So first, I'm making you a drink called the Devil and Plum. Uh, it's a carbonated cocktail. It's a salted plum uh, pisco, which is a South American brandy, um, very light and floral. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got fresh plum and a little touch of hibiscus as well. All right. Ooh, that sounds fabulous. Thank you very so much. So let us turn our attention to now, Mitch. Mitch. Mitch, Mitch now Berliner. the mic is on but, for you. But Mitch is seriously. He's a, he is everything you've touched has turned to gold. Uh, from ice cream to to farmers markets to awesome salamis. Uh, Is there you, a question in there? Where well, are you yeah. Going with were that? you always <laughs> this? I mean, when you did you have a lemonade stand when you were seven? I mean, I think it's true to say any, almost anybody in business is the same person that had the lemonade stand, shoveled the snow in the neighborhood, did the newspapers, did poop patrol in our backyard. <laughs> right. Yeah, there you go. So I think that is true. The only difference in terms of food. Um, I had a very unusual upbringing in that uh, my family traveled all over the world because they were in the export business. And Mm -hmm. so we always had amazing food back in the 50s and 60s instead of, you know, what was being served every place else. Right. 
Um, so let's talk about your progression. So, I mean, you start all these food-based businesses. Was it just, was it financially based or do you have a love for food to begin with? Well, um, my parents actually took us out to farms mm -hmm. when I was growing up on Long Island. There still were farms uh, out there back in the 1950s, early mm -hmm. 60s. And um, my mom and dad both worked. They had their own mm -hmm. business. So I sort of learned entrepreneurship at the table, mm -hmm. at, seriously. And then um, they both liked to cook, and they taught me and my brother, Guy, who's in business also, right. with me for many years. And um, so for us, going into the food business actually was sort of a, a marriage of both the entrepreneurship and the lo love of food. So in the 70s, when you started the farmer's markets, what, were you, like, what did you see first, and you were like, this is what I need? How did that come to be? Well, when everybody was in college in the 60s, who, who my contemporaries, mm -hmm. uh, basically— You I got think, one in here. Right. So I, I don't want to talk one about all alive. the things that were going on <laughs> in the uh, late 1960s, but you guys know what it's I'm talking about. It's legal to smoke dope now. It's all yeah, right. okay, so fine. That's yeah. what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And then everybody was going to get, like, munchy kind of junky stuff. And so—but I actually was cooking wonderful food, so— and then people would be happy to come over to our place because, you know, and bring whatever, and we would take care of the food part. Mm -hmm. So um, we used to go to the farmer's market that was originally in um, Bethesda, downtown Bethesda. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, you know, they don't have like a, thank you, um, they don't have like any takeout prepared foods. So mm -hmm. that was the first thing we did. Okay. And that led to like four farmer's markets in Montgomery County. And we did that in the 1970s, way before it was, quote-unquote, the in thing, farmer's right. markets. Although we didn't invent farmer's markets. They're about 20,000, 30,000 years old. Mm -hmm. And um, and then uh, we ended up in, as, as David mentioned, we ended up in the ice cream distribution business, introducing Haagen-Dazs, Ben & Jerry's, and about 50 different other Dove things. Dove bars. Dove mm -hmm. bars. God in heaven. And the first fruit bars. We had the Amy's. We had Cascading. We introduced a lot of organic things. We pioneered putting in uh, organic and natural food sections in traditional supermarkets. So we worked with Giant, Safeway, Shoppers, all those people. And we actually put sections because we were convinced that this was the direction it was going. And then um, and then ultimately when I uh, got out of that business, I was always passionate about doing farmer's markets and a tired of driving downtown to go to one. Right. So I opened one. And then, uh, so wait, when, which came first, Bethesda well, Central Farm Markets or Meat Crafters? They sort of came almost at the same okay. time. And uh, then my wife, Deborah Moser, um, who was founded Viz The true brains of the operation, okay. let's you be honest. Get no <laughs> argument the, wait, the looks me. and the brains of the yeah, operation. Yeah, and, and, and creativity and, and, the, and the whole deal. Because I know she's listening. Right, yeah. she is indeed. I, I, the only thing I could do is, like, I can lift more than she can. Mm -hmm. So I can, hey, move that over here. So, um when she retired from, uh, she founded Viz Arts in Rockville, fantastic visual arts center. Oh. And uh, so I sucked her into both Meat Crafters, which we founded uh, with our other partner, Stan Fader. And um, well, let's talk about we are. Meat Crafters. Sure. We'll get to, um, you know, we talk to you every week about the market and what's right. going on in the market. And we'll certainly hit that um, at the end of the interview. But Having been to the Meat Crafters facility and seeing what you're doing there is pretty exciting. So talk about like what you originally wanted to do and how you grew because you offer so many you open you offer you do sausages, salamis, and you got your skinny salami. Well the question is why do it and what's the point and what makes mm -hmm. them different? Okay, well thanks for asking. So 
I've been to Italy a number of times, mm-hmm. and um, and they I was let, always in the food business. They let you in? <laughs> um, I came under an alias, okay. right? And Michele uh, Berlini, and um, so <laughs> I went to Italy, and every time we came back, and of course they have unbelievable salamis there and all that, and prosciuttos, and so we thought, I cannot believe that no one's opened up a USDA facility. Here in Washington, D.C. And every time I came back and I said, I, I got to do that. But I had my other business. So this is like a dream for 20 plus yeah, years. Let's just say for the record, opening up a USDA facility is not somebody. Somebody just looks like, oh, yeah, let's just do that. That takes a lot of well, work it's, it's, and red tape. I mean, you have to go through a lot to make that uh, a reality. Not really. It's, it's only about three quarters of a million dollars. So we took our <laughs> retirement fund. We spent eight months writing the HACCP plan. Mm-hmm. So I highly recommend this to all your listeners. Mm. If you've got nothing else to do. Stories. Right. And then uh, that's, you, and you do all of that without knowing you're going to sell a single anything. Right. So um, that's why very few people did it. Maybe if somebody would have warned me in advance, I would have <laughs> not done it. But anyway, here we are today. So... Um, I we hooked up with a gentleman who was making unbelievable sausage, Stan Fader's mm-hmm. Simply Sausage, and um, we joined our forces. And then we said, let's make salamis also. Okay. So and I brought some here to taste. Most okay. Important. Well, we're yes. going to take a break. When we come back, let's get into tasting them. And I want to really talk about the skinny salamis because they're ridiculously delicious. Um, this Thank is you. David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie in the Beast. We're talking skinny salamis and other fabulous things from meat crafters. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to entrepreneur to the stars, Mitch Berliner, about meat crafters. Uh, meat crafters is a full line of high-quality meat products. They're smart enough to sponsor Foodie and the Beast and bring us their salamis and sausages and duck breast prosciutto uh, for so, tasting here and for retail and restaurants. Okay, so, Mitch, having I've been to your facility, and it's really fascinating to see how all of this gets made and the, the kind of work and detail that goes in to all this. I mean, you offer so many different salamis. How do you how do you keep that up? And like, where, like, are you looking to get them into restaurants? Like, what's your where's your goal? Like, where are we selling these? How is this working? Well, we're limited by the amount of space because you saw that it's a very very time consuming. It takes six weeks to make our salamis, our regular size salamis, mm-hmm. and um, so it takes an enormous amount of space. So we're just more or less local um, to restaurants, people like Balducci's. We sell to the Inn at Little Washington. They were our first um, wholesale customers. For so, salamis or sausages? Uh, salami. So okay. ever since we, I, I like to say we're working our way down the ladder of success. Right. And um, But Jose, doesn't Jose Andre buy your sausages? Yes, Jose um, buys our sausages. Right. Um, we make uh, special sausages that he, he had, the, we developed the restaurant uh, recipe with him. Mm-hmm. We do that for others as well. Mm-hmm. We have 60 kinds of sausages, and so we sell them to lots of restaurants. We sell that to retailers, well, etc. Can we talk about the why and the and the what of the particularly of the skinny salamis? Because you you sent us a bunch of and information. Can you pass some of those skinny salamis over here? Because yeah. you know don't I like Bogart I buy them by the case. Okay. But I mean they're they're cured. They're not Thank cooked you. or dehydrated. Right. Um. They're all ne- they're no mm. antibiotics, no hormones, no sugar, no carbs. They're gluten and dairy free. Is that un? Well, I mean, they're only forty calories for skinny. Is that unusual in the salami biz? Well. What what happened was we've been making salamis for a while, mm-hmm. and um, we looked around at the meat snack category, all the jerkies, right. the Slim Jim type products, the smoke kind of products, 
And we realized that in the entire country, there was nobody making a meat snack product with um, that's cured. So we and we went out and we tried as many as we possibly could. And uh, I don't know how to put this nicely. We weren't we didn't like anything really. Mm-hmm. Some stuff at best was mediocre. So we set out. It took us like three years to perfect. We actually made a meat snack product that is in a uh, which is a cured salami, mm-hmm. and we call it skinny salamis because it's actually like David just said, it's only forty calories, forty five right. calories depending on which one. We want it to be very different, so it, salamis are always made with pork, but we made it with lamb? lamb. We made it with beef. The lamb and, ones are really yeah. We have ridiculous. two different kinds with lamb. You better hand me one of those. Yeah, yeah oh, here you fabulous. go. Here, give one to your bride, and oh uh, and then we make it. And the Thank other you. thing that we do, which is very, very untraditional, mm-hmm. is almost everybody in this country, and there's not that many people who make, uh, it's very difficult to get the license for making cured products, is we make traditional salamis, but we also make traditional out-of-the-box flavor profiles. So we have uh, salamis with shawarma seasonings. We have our Kasbah pork is with Middle Eastern seasonings. Um, we have chorizo, is Hispanic. So we're way out of the box with so the flavoring. Ha- just quickly, because we're gonna have to wrap up in a sec. But like, when you're doing recipes for these, like, are you? How are you doing that? Like, how do you? Are you playing with it first? Well, it's it's, it's very it's interesting when like you a, do when like you do salamis. Um, unfortunately, you have to wait. If it's if it takes five days, not five minutes, like other meat snacks, to make our uh, skinny salamis, and I have a special offer for your listeners. So oh, yeah, listeners, get your. Uh, Smartphones and a pencil and or pencil and pad out because mm-hmm. we are on Amazon as well as available. The skinny salamis are available at all the mom stores at Balducci's, Rodman's, and other it's, fine they're retailers. They're available at River Falls Market, right? They're available at River Falls Market. Mm-hmm. They do real well with all our products over there. They have our sausages, our salamis, our skinnies, mm-hmm. etc. And um, so, right at the end of the show, I have a, an announcement that. You can get a discount for the listeners of Foodie and the Beast. Terrific. So what we do, though, it takes six weeks or whatever to actually end up being able to taste it. Uh-huh. So if a chef is in his kitchen and he goes, oh, this needs a little more of this or that, boom, he does it. There's no doing that. You have to we, wait till the we finished product. We have to wait till the finished product. There's no way to tell. So it's it's a, an expensive and very long process All to right. do. Well, so now let's just get to Bethesda, the, the central farm markets. You have three. We have three, and ladies and gentlemen, you're going to hear it first. We have a fourth market opening at the Westfield Mall, Montgomery Mall, and we'll be opening. There is no Westfield Mall. Yes, there is. No. Montgomery Mall. Montgomery oh, Mall. Montgomery Mall. Oh, Montgomery Mall. I was like, Mall White Flint. I was like, White Flint doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, no. So uh, Montgomery Mall, I'm sure everybody knows where that is. Yes. It's certainly one of the most popular. We'll be opening there the first Saturday in May of this year. So come on out. That's a big one. Wish that's, we could do a drum roll. Yeah. So that that's a, a you let first. Us down, we're Andy, letting no us. We're, we're letting every all your listeners know. So, um, but well, we've we'll been be doing it ten it years. So you'll come back in and talk absolutely, about it. Absolutely, absolutely. Actually, uh, one of our farmers today, uh, Toygo, brought a whole bunch of uh, gave me a whole bunch of apples and pears and Asian pears for you to staff. But I'm sure. Who's I the tell- head farmer at Toygo? Pardon me? Who's the head farmer at Toygo? Well, Mark Toygo, second Mark, generation. Right, Mark Toygo? Yeah. Okay. So um, it, they've been with us from the beginning in right. Twin Springs. So we have a lot of people. That, so we have four farmer's markets. We will have four. We have two that are open year-round, Mosaic in the Fairfax District, and, of course, our original uh, Bethesda, downtown Bethesda. All right, now let's go back. Meat Crafters Online is what? Meatcrafters.com? Yes, 
So what people will want to learn about is can go to meatcrafters.com. They can also go to skinnysalamis.com. And you can go to Amazon and go to Skinny Salamis. And if you um, put in a code 6... F like Frank, F you know like what? Frank, no, no, no. forget it. Don't even do it. I will put it out oh, on okay. social media. That's much better. And this way, everybody will know to use that code in right. order to get a discount. It's a, it's a code that we have for your listeners for a couple right. of weeks. All right. Thank you. Um, and, you know, as long as you mention them, I mean, the Market at River Falls, which is another Foodie and the Beast sponsor, is a great place. These skinny salamis, if you're getting ready for Super Bowl... Not perfect. only will they cater your whole thing, but these are a perfect appetizer. Absolutely. They're great. We have, we, have, we have started selling them to some bars. It's a great uh, food service item as well. Service bar. So, Did you hear that? He's selling them to some bars. Right. Yes, exactly. So, um, so there we go. You made a marriage. A shit up. We'll explain that to them later. All right. All right. Well, good. Let's get back to Thank you for having us. And now you got to go to the market, right? I'm going back to the work. So thank you all. All right. Take care. All right. Glendon, I'm leaving everything for you. Kevin, step up to the plate. So this drink is great. This Talk about waking me up. I know, but it's super light. It's not... You know, I think people have a misconception about brandy. Can you give us sort of a little background on brandy? Sure. Uh, Once again, thank you for having us. Uh, This is Kevin Rogers. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of the things that we are fascinated with brandy, what fascinates us about brandy, is the fact that the the, the category for spirits is so diverse. So with Pisco, what you're enjoying in the Devil and Plum cocktail that everyone has right now, we're talking about unaged grape brandy made from Peru. Uh, Chile also has a big Pisco uh, production. Bolivia, similar style yeah, uh, drink called Singani. They know Pisco and they know to ask for it, that they know that it's a brandy. They don't know it's a brandy, and that's part of our goal with brandy cocktail. Well, now they know, room. Kevin. Yes, yeah, they all do. Right. So Pisco but is a brandy. Pisco is a brandy. So at the end of the day, brandy is a distilled product, but the base material, and this is the most important part, is always a fruit. Okay. So in the case of cognac, Pisco, cal- uh, sorry, Pisco, cognac, Armagnac, grapes. In the case of Applejack from New Jersey, right here in America, or Calvados from France, we're talking about apples and sometimes pears. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some of the Eastern European countries, we have uh, distilled spirits made from plums, uh, which is very popular. There's also raspberries as well as strawberries. So those so are all different kinds of brandy. They're all different kinds of brandy. Exactly. Okay. Um, the ones that we're most used to, uh, thanks to Mr. Hennessy and uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Uh, Martel and uh, others in Cognac region of France, are the aged, matured versions from that particular region. Some of the ones that we're not so accustomed with and we're just starting to really explore are Pisco's and uh, from Peru and Chile. Well, I think How? people are confused about Pisco's because it sounds like it's a drink. Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like people have a yeah. Pisco sour and that's sort of what they know. So they don't realize that Pisco yeah. is, a, is a physical liquor. That is kind of one of the reasons why we started Brandy Cocktail Room in the first place. People thought that the term Pisco meant the Pisco sour drink with egg white, and right. they would never try mm-hmm. another cocktail with Pisco in it. Exactly. Like the one that you're enjoying right now that does not have any egg white, but it's very light and effervescent. Yes. This the is a Pisco? That's yeah. a Pisco cocktail. Yeah. Oh. Very light. It's carbonated. It does not have egg white, but people don't know the difference between the spirit, which is Pisco, and a Pisco sour, which is a Pisco cocktail, that like was, a whiskey sour. Right. Really I want to cool. know what you're mixing up next. Right. Next cocktail we're making is a drink called uh, Café Calva, uh, which is a very popular drink uh, in the 1800s in uh, Oh, when I was Paris. in high school. Exactly. Right. Just kidding. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, basically, if you ordered uh, Calvados in a bar in Paris, uh, you would get, oh, I apologize, if you ordered Café in a bar in Paris, you would get Café with Calvados in it. 
unless you specifically ask for no Calvados added to it. Okay. This is our version of it with a little banana water, uh, a touch of cinnamon, uh, a little bit of bitters, Calvados, and uh, cold brew coffee from DC. Okay, Excellent. Cool. Thank you. So. We're eating ramen. Yeah, and it's we're so eating good. ramen. Uh, Olivier Kayabe is the general manager of Toki Underground, which is really DC's first ramen house mm -hmm. and still one of the great ones. <laughs> Sorry. I'm Hi. I'm and eating. The, one of the so reasons I'm that Nikki and I do all this. Nikki and I were start. Oh, that's where over here, I think. Oh, my God. That's that gorgeous. we're starting Wait, and stopping talking first? is we've been shoving ramen into our faces uh -huh. this whole time. Look at this. Okay. So, hi. Welcome to Foodie and the Beast. Thank, Thank you for bringing you. all this deliciousness in this I morning. I think we should just eat and not Okay, talk to so Olivier. before we dig into the ramen, I want to talk about your background because it's really interesting. Sure. Uh, you have a degree in zoology? Yeah, a degree in zoology and a master's in uh, primate conservation. Right. Enough, yeah. <laughs> You're on the right show then. Right, because he's I mean... totally a primate. Um, anyway, so um, how did you go from saving animals and primates to ramen like primates can we are just, animals but. you know what i mean <laughs> i'm just saying like specific for sure no so um i was actually born uh born into a restaurant family mm -hmm. um and my extended family as well we're all pretty much involved with uh, with food uh, one way or another and um the family business was a fine dining french restaurant for uh, we had about 30 years in dublin so i, I grew up in uh, in the restaurant mm -hmm. and uh, so so the, the uh, hospitality trade is very, very close to my heart, you know? Right. So, but you did, you did actually work in conservation first, yeah, right? So yeah. how long did you do that? I did that for, I mean, after with my studies, I was about three years altogether. I was living in, uh, in Southeast Asia, traveling all over, mm -hmm. um, working, uh, working on uh, wildlife trade, uh, mostly illegal wildlife trade. And, uh, yeah, I was there for about about three years, um, and and got to travel all over, uh, all over that part of the world, and eat lots of uh, really really great food on my travels, which was massive. Right, because you were in Chiang Mai, right? Chiang Mai, I was I was uh, northern Thailand. I was based in Malaysia, but I also traveled to Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia, Myanmar, obviously mm -hmm. Malaysia, and then Indonesia as well. So, yeah. Did you happen to fall in love with the cuisine while you were there? Um. I mean, I loved it all, to be honest okay. with you. I, I ate very, very well while I was there, you know, mm -hmm. very, very well. Uh, Malaysian cuisine, I think, is uh, particularly uh, particularly good. I think it's really underrepresented as well outside of Malaysia. There's massive diversity. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, hopefully, you know, here in D.C., we'll start to see a little bit more Malaysian cuisine because it's, it's really not represented at all. We need to take a break. Oh, all right. I've got lots of questions for you. All right, this is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We are digging into ramen from Toki Underground. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, welcome back to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Before we get back to the show, I just want to thank our sponsors, ProFish, amazing, sustainable seafood mm -hmm. available up and down the East Coast. Yep. Uh, market at River Falls, a great specialty market in the center of Potomac. Yep. Get ready for Super Bowl, everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, Central Farm Markets and Meat Crafters, of course. And I want to say that we're on Facebook Live. If you don't know that, go to Nikki Nellis yep. on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And our cameraman today is Eli Nellis. College-bound Eli Nellis, good man. Yep. All right, so let's get back to Olivier Kayabe and talk about, I mean... So now let's get into, so you come well, back to the States. I'm sorry, do you want to ask yeah, a question? I, yeah, okay, I was, was going to jump to Tokyo Underground because you brought in, like, all these different ramens. Oh, yeah. And I guess the first question is, is ramen, for people that just really don't know it, 
I mean, ramen seems to me to be a disevolving thing, and people are still experimenting with. You've got the, the noodles, but the different flavors and all the things you can do with it. Is that <coughs> right? Yeah, for sure, man. And that's one of the that's one of the really interesting things about um, about ramen and the soup is that it's very uh, versatile. Mm -hmm. You know, compared to a lot of um, a lot of maybe other areas of Japanese cuisine, which are quite rigid. Mm -hmm. You know, ramen is really an area where you can really, really. Um, you know, bringing a lot of different influences and. But for people who don't know ramen, mm. I mean, a lot of people if used to think that ramen, ramen like okay, I... a lot of people used to think um, that ramen was just like oodles on noodles, you know, like in a cup. Yeah. But it was a whole culture in Japan that is really just in the last six or seven years, just you know, exploded, yeah. exploded Bad across the for United sure. States. Yeah. Um, and Tokyo Underground was the first uh, ramen place in DC. Um, so and it's been around now for how many years? Nearly seven, seven, seven in years. April. Yeah. So how has it evolved? And I know you haven't been there since the beginning, but how have the flavors and what they're offering now evolved? Well, um, you know, the thing about Tokyo is it's a non-traditional, uh, non-traditional ramen. So some of these, some of these bowls that you're you're eating here, like the Taipei curry chicken, mm -hmm. the kimchi, um, mm -hmm. you know, they're they're very much non-traditional. They're kind of it's a, it's a fusion, really. Um, but in in terms of how it's evolved, um, you know, for us, a large part of it is consistency. And, okay. You know, we have a soup. It's a tonkatsu soup. So it's a pork chicken and dashi, which is a, a dried fish flake. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, we have pork bone, chicken bone. There's all these different elements going in. And the soup cooks for a couple of days, you know, constantly cooking. We've got these big pots that are just cooking and cooking right. and cooking and, and, and really rendering down all that flavor and all the fats, all that good, all that good stuff. And, uh -huh. you know, for a, a large part of it is... Uh, <laughs> is uh, maintaining consistency because that's what we're known for. You're known for right. the soup. And, and, you know, in order to recreate that same experience every time, um, you know, we're looking just just really to keep it consistent, keep that quality. Um, well, what about the noodles? So, I mean, the broth is really important, but hmm. so are the noodles. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, the noodles we have, they're, they're made specifically <laughs> for us by a, a company in Virginia. Oh, okay. Um, and um, they are super important. There's, there's an alkaline element to uh, the noodles which uh, gives a kind of uh, springy texture, which is super important, mm, which so kind of good. differentiates it a little bit from pasta or some of these other um, other noodles. Um, right. Um, and yeah, it's, it's equally important. I mean, there's these different elements. It's it's funny because it's a very, very, you know, for in Japan, it's a soul, a soul food. It's a comfort food. It's people right. go in, you eat it really quick, and then, then you're out, you know? Are they um, experimenting with it the same way you guys are? In other words, is ramen ramen in Japan, or are they coming up with all these variations on a theme um i think i think there are variations but i mean it is such a staple as well it's well because in japan the ramen bars i mean literally it's not it's like a snack bar in italy do you know what i mean like in italy you go in for espresso you yeah. have it and you leave you're exactly. not there to hang around exactly, yeah and it's the same thing with the ramen bars like yeah. you go in you have your soup and you get out yeah. like yeah. so um it's a very different uh context for a dining experience for, sure. for americans yeah. Yeah. because everybody thinks over a bowl of soup you linger for sure um so it's a very different way of thinking yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> and uh you know i th i think it is it is something that is you know kind of bit starting to be taken up here in the u.s you know and right. um uh, it's not uh, you know also also for us another that it's not that tokyo isn't a traditional ramen house is is through our cocktail bar sakis all this kind of thing it's typically ramen bars they don't really serve they booze. don't serve booze. They don't right. serve booze. It's in and out, and, and because and you, you don't leave, have time you know? to drink it. For sure, right. for sure, because you're because you're eating and slurping. But you so know? when Toki first opened, it was more traditional in that it was looking to churn and burn because everybody was waiting online because there's not a lot of seats. 
Yeah, I mean, it's still not super different right now, okay. to be honest. You know, weekends, uh, Friday, Saturdays, we get waits of up to two, three hours. You know, it's, it's still it's still very busy. It's a very, very small place. Here's the most important question yeah. anyone can ask you. Yeah. Each individual noodle is probably eight to ten inches long. Is there any way to eat this without dragging it over your chin and no. slurping? No, it's the, it's the only way. But to be the, slurped? The whole, the whole idea is you get, you get your nose in, you slurp it, and mm -hmm. at the same right. time you get in all the aromas, you know, the all Italians, the flavors. The, the, the blue-collar Italians eat pasta that way. They put their faces down in the yeah. dish and they just shovel. Yeah. Uh, all right, so I'm not grossing everybody in the studio. Not I may all. be doing that I mean, anyway. you may be doing it anyway. Not at all, not at all. Not at all. Not the size of that bad boy. Mm -mm. Yeah. No, slurping is, is, is so very much part of it. So how often do the ramen change? Ours, we don't change that often. Right now, we're working on some um, some collaborations. Uh, mm -hmm. We're kind of planning some things going forward. There's nothing set in stone yet, but I've got some ideas of what I'd like to do. Okay. Uh, That's a little spicy. Kimchi's hot. The kimchi's spicy, yeah. Um, so we're working on some ideas there, and then. But you have a watercolor pop up, right? Yeah, yeah, we do next weekend with, with um, um, Marcella Kriebel. She was in on the show recently. Yeah, She's yeah. very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She does yeah. really neat things. Yeah, so we're really looking forward to that. We did a Kokodama pop up not so long ago, which right? is a Japanese hanging plant. Um, and uh, yeah, these kind of these just really, really kind of experimenting and seeing where we can take it. We did uh, Astro Donuts. We did a pop up with Astro. Fun. Uh, last year with Chaya, we did a vegetarian taco. Uh, kind of um, a Toki Taco kind of um, kind of setup and yeah, just just looking for those different opportunities to kind of expand and, and develop develop it a little bit. You know, develop the concept a little bit. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. So, all yeah. right. Tell everybody where they can find you, please. Um, you can find us on H Street Northeast uh -huh. in uh, Atlas Corridor One Two Three Four H Street. Okay. We're right above the Pug Bar. Um, uh -huh. We are also going to be starting a bar menu at the Pogue towards the end of the month. Right, that's what I thought I had yeah, heard. Yeah, so, you know. What does that mean exactly? It means that, you know, we have a lot of people that come in, you know, particularly on weekends and they don't have time to wait or they don't want to wait. And, uh, you know, they leave and they go elsewhere. So it's, it's a way to kind of, you know, have people stay, get some little snacks, you know, grab a drink downstairs at the Pogue. Exactly. And while they're waiting and then when they're ready, they can come back up. Not you have a anybody. retail store there too, don't no. you? No, no. no. They don't. No. No, honey. No, no retail. All right, okay, anyway. That. That, anyway. That, uh, what do I know? It's you really been a don't. while. No, I okay. really don't. All right, so listen. Thank you're not you. going back to primates? You're going to stay No, no, I'm staying here. I'm staying okay. here. No okay. problems. Okay. Uh, if you ever feel the need for a primate, come back and visit me. Yeah, it's, right? good, it's good to all know. Right, nice good to, to have you. Thank, Thank you so you much. So all right, so let's talk to David Katz about Honey Grow. Hi, David. How are you? Hello, how are you? Thanks for schlepping in this morning. So I'm, yeah, no problem. I'm going to read the, the, the two sentences of uh, sort of top line on Honey Grow, and then we'll get into it. It's a Philly-born, fast, casual concept. Correct. With premium, wholesome, made-to-order stir-fry salads and honey bar. We're going to find out what that is. Everything's made from scratch. It's all customizable. There are two honey bars here in the D.C. area. Honey but Grows. The, the honey honey Grows. Grow, excuse me, Honey Grows. I've and been to one is coming to Rockville. Really? Thank you. Mm -hmm. Coming to Rockville on the 18th, right? That's right, Thank Thursday, you. 18th. All right, so let's fill in all the blanks. First of all, how about a little background on you? What's your 411? I know you're a Philly restaurateur. Mm, thank you. Yeah, I just want to sleep in every day. <laughs> oh, about me. Yes. <laughs> um, it's Sunday. No, I am a nice Jewish boy from South Jersey. There is no such they thing. They always say that, but uh, we're not nice. That's okay. <laughs> Go yeah, ahead. I'm from Cape May County, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Um I've just I've been cooking pretty much since I've been 14. I'm gonna give you my whole bio. It's gonna take like okay. 20 minutes. Okay. Like that whole that whole chef bio started at home with his mom. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. I mean I've been cooking in Philly for a while. Cooking uh -huh. California for a while. I had 
a restaurant called May May on 22nd mm. and Spruce in, in Philly oh, for May about May. five years. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And uh, I, in 2012, I sold May May. I took my first job, n- my first non-cooking job ever, selling beef for Creekstone Farms in Kansas. We know them. Yeah, I was a uh, regional sales manager somehow. I got that job. And <laughs> not in, not I, in Kansas. No, no, no. My, no. No, thankfully. I used to have no. to go out there like twice a year. But my territory was Philly, New York, New Jersey, all of New England, and Montreal and Toronto, which was pretty dope. But, uh-huh. um, but I, I mean, I did that, and I was kind of acting as Creekstone's like company chef because we did a lot of events like the New yeah. York Food and Wine event and a bunch of you We've know, had Creekstone on the show years yeah. ago. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm scared to ask who. But I, uh, yeah, so I did that. Uh-huh. And then when I was working with Creekstone, I met Justin Rosenberg, uh, the founder and CEO of Honeygrow, at the time, I was just on a sales call because uh-huh. you know he was using some some Creekstone stuff. I was riding with the Pat Lafrida rep because that was our distributor. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I met Justin. I was in a Honeygrow. <clears throat> I really liked it. Um, you know, like I saw what they were doing in the fast casual space. It was you know it was great. I mean, it, so when I met Justin, it was in his second Honeygrow at the time. Okay, and then. You know, we hit it off when I met him. He said, oh, you see that your restaurant, Mei Mei, was one of my favorite places. And, you know, I was like, oh, thanks. So let's <laughs> just talk about the, the streamline of, of Honey Grow because it's not just salads. It's salads and stuff. Like, it's everything. Let's talk it's about the yeah, well, almost. So not, the process. It's like everything but not. But, it, I mean, but it is pretty focused. It's like, so Honey Grow, the concept is about uh, stir-fried noodles mm-hmm. and woks. You know, we stir-fry and woks, ramen-style noodles, mm-hmm. uh, salad, mm-hmm. and then Honey Bar, which is... I mean, the whole thing, you know, is Justin's, uh, you know, it's all his creation. Right. Uh, you know, like he started the company. I think we but, should have a ramen war. But he really, yeah. Well, we don't, we don't do ramen, ramen like these guys do. Mm-hmm. We use the, we use noodles that are made by, you know, people that make ramen noodles. But we use like kind of thicker styled ones that are, you know, more suitable for a stir fry. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. So the honey bar is just is basically like a fully customizable yogurt, uh, fruit granola coconut chocolate and then we always feature like three different honeys and some maple so it was just justin actually came up with the idea from watching his daughter eat apples with honey Mm -hmm. at rosh hashanah and and he was just like oh that could work that's a five thousand year old (laughs) idea exactly so you just you know and it's it's popular in the restaurant it kind of serves as it can be a dessert it can be just a kind of side to your salad Mm -hmm. where if there's a group of people and one's not that hungry so you can go and get a salad Pick everything you want and have it be a salad. Yeah, everything's fully customizable. Okay, well, that's, and, and we have suggested thing. menu items also. I was reading one of the reviews said, um, I've got it here. It's a yeah, picky, don't read the reviews out on air. No, it's <laughs> a good one. Nah, it's, you know, as they Joking. said, it's a picky eater's paradise. Yeah, right. absolutely. Everything's customizable, man. You can do, you know, we have a menu of suggested stir fries and suggested salads right. that, that I put together. And, you know, there was a couple, you know, that were Which there. Which you brought Obviously, in today, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, so what did exactly. you bring in today? Today, we are just featuring our kind of seasonal quarterly changes, essentially. Mm-hmm. We have a stir-fry that is uh, whole wheat noodles, uh, chicken, kale, uh, chickpeas, red onion, and a roasted garlic tahini Let a professional dressing. tell you how good it is. It's really yeah, yeah, lovely. You no, and and, I like and then we have like addition. a coriander crunch on top. Out of I like, like the addition of the whole wheat noodles. I yeah, yeah, they're nice. good. They go great with chickpeas and kale, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and then we have a salad that's... It's a base of uh, spinach, kale. We have pears, uh, some raw mushroom, blue mm-hmm. cheese, pecans, and pomegranate vinaigrette. Mm-hmm. Just kind of, you know, featuring some pears and pomegranates for the winter. You know why I laughed? Because 
because I'm funny? 30 years ago. No, no, no. 30 years now ago, if the show had been on the air 30 years ago and somebody had said, it goes good with chickpeas and kale, yeah. like you would have been thrown out the window. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are those? Yeah, that didn't get sold frozen in, no. the, uh, in the TV Well, so nothing aisle. that you guys carry is frozen. No, we don't have any freezers. So that's, like a, that's a huge commitment. Yeah, yeah. It's, for... We have to move and shake. You know, we, 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 we field orders every day we, you know we do a lot of prep a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of prep a lot of alamanute cooking you know so our concept is Hold on. It, yeah go ahead on that moment i we gotta have take, to take a break. break take a break so when we come back we'll come back about the concept Perfect. we're talking I mean, about David, honey we, got, we gotta pay for the show no <laughs> I'll, you know i got a couple dollars all right we're back on fooding the beast with david and nikki nellis again i want to thank Profish, uh, the fabulous market at river falls the equally as fabulous uh Central Farm Markets and mm-hmm. Meat Crafters for sponsoring the show. We're talking to David Katz from Honey Grow. David, one of Which the things... Which is opening up in Rockville. In Rockville on the 18th. Where? In the Montrose Shopping Center yeah, Mont- in Rockville. Yeah. And you have two others. We do. Pentagon City and... Uh, Penta- the, what's that? The Fashion Mall is what it's called, right? Yeah. Fashion yeah, Mall yeah, Pentagon Yeah, City. and Chinatown. And right. Chinatown. Yep. Okay, Sorry. great. Um, all right, I just so ate you, a flower out of my cocktail right it now. It happens. So <laughs> you never. It happens. Yeah. So now tell us. You were just about to, to go into like your concept. Like you had something very important to say. And oh I yeah. Cut you off. <laughs> right. Right. So I was going to say our concept, as opposed to a lot of other fast casual, isn't the assembly line model. You know, the kind of Chipotle model, for yes. lack of a better term. Yeah. 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 Where the food is just kind of prepared, and people walk down the line, and you know, and get food that's prepared. We, you know. People order on a touchscreen kiosk with us, okay. and then the ticket shoots out, and then the wok cooks and the salad cooks just go to it, just kind of like you would in a fine dining restaurant. Like We make everything mm-hmm. to order is basically where that where that was going at the time. But. And what? so tell us quickly, you also do pressed juices? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Some cold-pressed juices, yep. Because? Because they're good and refreshing <laughs> and colorful. <laughs> and because they suck and nobody yeah, yeah, will buy them. Yeah, because no, it's I mean, trendy. Like, Who's no, going to buy those? They're right? good. They're healthy, man. They're beautiful. No, no added sugar. Right. Yeah, they're uh, so. I mean, I, you know, I put together some recipes and kind of, you know, uh, collaborated with a company called Eighty Seven P out in the outskirts of Chicago, and yeah, we have these three, you know, we have these three cool cold pressed juices. We have not answered the key question What's of that? the day. What? what is a honey bar? Oh, I, I did, did a little bit yes, of no, no, but did. I mean, let's because there are all kinds of choices in there too. Oh right. yeah, yeah. All I mean, right. Did you remember the apples remember us and talking honey? about the apples yeah, and the yeah, honey and Justin's daughter? Just... I mean, I know I heard all that. All right. Okay. So you want me to run through all the I, offerings? Yes. No, you don't all have right, to run right. through all yeah, of them. Yeah, I think that's that's the, the, yeah, so the star of the show. No, it's not. The I most popular so. base to get with the honey bar is yogurt, right? Yes. So we start with organic plain yogurt. You don't have to get yogurt though, but it's basically yogurt, and then we have strawberries, bananas, uh, blueberries, pineapple. Um, apples, and then we have some granola, coconut flakes, chocolate, and then we feature wildflower honey, clover honey, buckwheat honey, and maple. Right, and then and so you can just mash all that up however you want. Yeah, all right. So exactly. do you work with like local farmers for the honey? How do you? How yeah, do you, yeah. Is that important sure, we do. to you guys? Yeah, absolutely, okay. absolutely. So in all of our regions, you know, we we always use local honey. Chicago, Boston, down mm-hmm. here, Philly. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in today. Well, let's talk about the real quick. Okay, it's the 18th. The ribbon cuttings at ten thirty. Ten thirty. And Justin Rosenberg's going to be there. Justin will be there with some big ass scissors cutting the ribbon. Okay. All right. All right. Well, yeah. We and can't that's wait it. Then. No way. But the most important thing is the first hundred. I thought diners. the most important thing was a honey bar. No, no. I like. Well, honey bar. I thought okay. was an interesting. Honey bar is thing. good. That roasted garlic tahini sauce on the noodles. The, the, you love should love tahini like. sauce. Good. 
But the first 100 diners get a free salad or stir-fry. Run. Don't walk. That's right. Yeah, first, first 100. All That's right. right. Oh, we'll be there by All right, now, David. Like, thanks. Thank you, David. No problem. All right. All right. Okay. Glendon, you guys want to come back? And Kevin, you want to come back up? Of course. All right. Thank so you. what did you bring us here? So you have two different spirits right now, two different okay. types of brandy. The darker one in your hand, the one that was on top, mm-hmm. is a Spanish brandy. And the one in your left hand is uh, Calvados, an apple brandy. Okay, so what's the Spanish brandy? What is it? Somebody got to get up. Yes. So the yeah, Spanish brandy. Uh, anywhere you have wine growing regions in the world, you're always going to have brandy uh, distilled, basically. Um, so Spain obviously has a big wine producing, uh, several wine producing regions. This uh, is from the southern of Spain. Uh, the grapes come from the middle of Spain, however, and the sun gets really hot there, and the grapes get really ripe and plump. So that's why with Spanish brandies, you typically will notice very ripe, plummy, dark fruit flavors uh, with a little bit of spice and a little bit of nuttiness. So it's great for mixing because it has a nice body. It's very approachable, a mm-hmm. little bit of sweetness, and that nice, raisiny, plummy, dark fruit flavor. Yeah, it's a little porty, right? Yeah. Like just yeah. a little bit? Like it has it, a... It's very reminiscent of pork. Yeah. You know, this show has a little spice and a little nuttiness. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, especially today. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> What about this one, the darker one? No, so we just that was the darker one. one. I'm sorry, the lighter one's the apple. So the lighter one right you have right. is apple brandy from Calvados. It's made in five different regions. This particular one is made in what they would call the premier region, which is the uh, Pays d'Oge. Uh, so it has these really nice flavors of, oh, I get a little bit of raisin. It's got really nice uh, cinnamon and a little touch of vanilla as well. Well, the uh, thing the about it is that it smells super sugary and sweet. It Do you does. I mean? It's really... Um, that's the flavor. and Well, that's the apple itself, but there's right, but no additional sugar it, added to it. You don't taste, it, taste any of that. It's a nice dry flavor, and it's spice forward. Because I think people, when they think of Calvados, they think it's like a sticky... Yeah, we run into that apple pucker. We run into that all the time. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, it sounds like it's going to be a sticky sweet spirit. And we have to sort of educate our guests, you know, in a fun way that's pleasing to everybody, that fruitiness does not always equal sweetness. There's a big difference between sugar and fruit, Um, and lots of fruits, including the apples that are used in Calvados, a lot of them are bitter, Um, Mm -hmm. and they contribute a certain zingy tartness to the to the Calvados. So, yes, you're absolutely right. And that's. Another main focus so they don't you don't use just any apple to make it. There's a you don't yeah different types of apples. The less sugar they have, the more they'll stand up to oak aging. This is aged for a minimum of ten years. They can go up to 30, 40, 50. Yeah, so uh, that's an investment in product. My it God. definitely <laughs> is. It definitely is. And the more sugar you have they in the apple, about it delayed won't age gratification that long. for the for the winemaker. Definitely. I mean, but they've been doing it for so long, they have so much stored up. You know, it's not super expensive like it would be for a younger distiller in America because mm-hmm. they've been doing it for so long. Right. So are there are there, you know, because what we find a lot of times is there's sort of places that people uh, sort of assume all the good wine comes from. Whether it's if they like domestics, it's all California. When we know, I think forty of the uh, fifty states produce wine. All fifty states are there. Wine. Are there all fifty states? Mm-hmm. Every state produces a wine. Oh, I guess there are ice wines up in Minnesota. Fun fact, I mean, but the question <laughs> I learned is, today. Are there are there sort of hidden gems for brandy too that people don't know about? I think there are a few hidden gems for brandy. Uh, one that I didn't really get into today or bring, I apologize, is um, is uh, That's Singani. It. Get You're out. out. Yeah. What are you doing yeah. here? I wanted to focus on the things that people think that they know, but they really don't. That's why I brought all this stuff today. Uh, mm-hmm. But I would say that uh, Bolivian brandy, uh, which is Singani, is definitely a hidden gem. Um, and it, there is more coming into the States now. Um, but we kind of need to know what these are before we can jump into other things. So but you have to educate your palate first. You have to educate yourself in general about what these products are before you can just start jumping into other things. Mm-hmm. But, so yes, educate you, your palate always. Do you guys always. do p- 
classes or anything like that? Or are you just educating your, your so, patrons? So uh, one of the reasons we're here today is to kind of promote uh, an idea that we've had for several years and we've actually rolled out in the past, but we want to do on a much larger scale now. It's called the Brandy Cocktail Room. Um, and that's going to be held once every other month at Service Bar for the time being. And during each cocktail session at the Brandy Cocktail Room, uh, we will feature several brandies and several cocktails made with those brandies. To sort of, in a non-pretentious, non-beating-you-over-the-head sort of environment, get you to appreciate these wonderful spirits. And every time we do it, the last Monday of uh, every other month, we will have someone from the producer mm -hmm. on hand to guide you through a small tasting, if you would like, and to educate our guests uh, along with us. All right, how do people reserve for that? So, uh, brandycocktailroom.com. Uh, mm -hmm. You can go on there and uh, RSVP, the way we know you're coming, and uh, we know how much to prepare for. And is it a, um, like a class or how is it's it not or a is class it more like loosey-goosey kind it's of thing it's more along the lines of like a soiree so mm -hmm. you go in we do have a menu cocktails um they're about nine to ten dollars uh, pretty inexpensive uh, yeah and then we're doing free tastings in the room so if you like the cocktails you want to know more about the specific brandy in it mm -hmm. uh you can go up to the representative from that particular particular brandy and then He'll guide you through a tasting Great. and notes. Well, let All me right. just ask one last question. With this Spanish um, brandy, yeah. this to me seems like a a finer spirit. Would you use this in a cocktail? So the thing about that brandy is that, once again, they're, they've been producing so much of it over mm -hmm. the years that it's actually a but very like, inexpensive. Eh, it's, no, it's, we a, don't have to save it. it's a very high-quality product, but it's very inexpensive to us because they've had such a base of it. So uh, it's very inexpensive. We actually put this in our old-fashioned um, at Service Bar, so it's half bourbon and half Spanish brandy. Uh, it's that inexpensive, but it's a very high-quality product. And you get, you get 100%. Lit up. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. Like, we sell more old fashions than anything else at Service Bar. I'm going to put this in my gas tank. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, thanks very much. Unfortunately, the well, show's. Wait, everybody, please tell everybody where they can find Service Bar. So please come visit us at Service Bar at 926 U Street Northwest. Uh, and then we'll be doing Brandy Cocktail Room every other month, the last Monday. Uh, from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. All right. Great, thank well, you. Well, don't forget to everything you heard on the show today. You can find on the list of you on it.com. Follow Nikki on Twitter and Instagram on WTOP Live every Thursday at 1240. And don't forget to go to uh, fullserviceradio.org Mondays at 5 to listen to Industry Night with Foodie and the Beast. Uh, we're touchy subject, interesting subject this week, and that's sexual harassment in the uh, in the commercial kitchen. Yeah, we want to thank all of our guests for coming in today and for bringing this ridiculous amount of great food and drinks. There's nothing ridiculous about it. No, and it. next week we have great guests. Of course, we have the team from Lebanese Taverna coming in and a new Georgian restaurant just opened up called Supra. They'll be in as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody, please have a delicious week.